0: the highs and lows of their pursuits, and how through their passion, they are moving the culture forward. Be sure to follow Verbally Effective and Ina Esco on Instagram. Also, download the Verbally Effective podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Don't forget to check out the website and submit to be a guest at verballyeffective.com.
1: I don't know anything, Gary, and I want to love to you. this now, representing Big Up Ina Esco, Big Up Verbally Effective, yeah man, Jamaica representing to the fullest, Chulani.
0: What's up, everybody? This is your girl, Kirsten Cheers, the multi-hyphenate social media strategist, Memphis native, South Memphian, and I am with your girl, Ina Esco, on the Verbally Effective podcast.
1: My name is Michael Butler Jr. and I'm verbally effective because I'm controlling the narrative of Memphis through my land.
0: Michael Butler Jr. is a cinematographer, photographer, and content creator who's also a native Memphian determined to make this bluff city grass greener. Avid lover of tacos, brunching, and t-shirt collecting, Michael Butler Jr. does it all. Verbally effective, your double E Ina Esco here. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Verbally Effective Podcast. Make sure you guys download, follow, subscribe, leave a review on all platforms. I'm talking about Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Castbox, Spreaker, SoundCloud. We are everywhere. And check it out. Today I have with me one of my good friends, Michael Butler Jr., he's a cinematographer photog and content creator welcome to the podcast michael butler jr how are you today i'm good
1: what's up anna how you doing
0: i am wonderful i'm so glad that you are joining me today you know i know you are very passionate thank you i'm i know you're very passionate about your work mike it all make it also it almost makes me feel like you know you on some Erica Badu. Like, you know, I'm a an artist <laughs> and I'm sensitive about my ish. So I really am though.
1: Yeah. I know I really you are. Know I don't care about my work.
0: <laughs> I know you are. I know you are. We've had several conversations <laughs> about that. So we're gonna uh start the part off though with your background. So what part of Memphis you from, Mike?
1: I am from South Memphis, uh by way of Westwood. Um, yeah, I like to say I'm the, the mayor of South Memphis. Uh you know because that's uh that's my area but yeah i grew up in westwood but uh i went to city i mean there's the candy food you know okay so you know i kind of had the little hood side and the bougie side at the same time
0: oh you hit you but, hood bougie <laughs> <laughs> yeah boo ratchet boo ratchet ain't nothing wrong with that ain't nothing wrong with that you know they teach you how to navigate through these streets and in right, the right, uh, right. you know in all societies, so that's a good trait to have. Uh, that boorachu, yeah, I
1: can walk everywhere.
0: Right, right. So, what school did you attend?
1: <laughs> I went to Kirby High School. This, like I said, this back when it was a county school. Okay, so it was a good school back then. Um, I don't know what Kirby like now. But it ain't like Kirby when I went there. So uh, I went to Kirby, and I actually graduated from Woodville. Oh. I was one of those weird kids that transfer my
0: senior
1: year. Why? Uh, you know, okay, so we moved from Westwood to East Memphis my, right before my senior year. And uh, we moved on the same street uh, that deal was on. So my mom was like, do you want to go to Kirby? I was like, well, I kind of want to go to the neighborhood too. Because when we moved that summer and we were in the neighborhood, it was some fine women." Oh, walking around
0: and really you know, right. They went to Wooddale. So I'm like, nah
1: I'm going <laughs> go to
0: Wooddale. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Around that. At the, at the look, <laughs> at, at that age, I know them hormones was raging. I know they was crazy. Raging.
1: Wow.
0: Crazy. <laughs> now, while you were over there at Kirby and Wooddale, what type of uh, curricular activities were you involved in, Mike? All uh, right. So um, I was.
1: All right. So I ran track. I ran track. Um that was that that was like my big thing, running track. I played a little ball. Um, not much. Uh other than that, I, I was in the USA. Uh I was on the golf team at Kobe. I was on the uh, um I was in the A D department. What else did I do? Uh when I was at Wooddale, I was actually way more involved in Wooddale, which is weird. But at Wooddale, I was on a yearbook staff, uh, AV department. Um, I took a couple classes with Stan Bale. Um, hey. Yeah, yeah, I took a couple classes with him. Um, what else should I do over Wooddale? a long? You know, I'm coming up on my 20 year high uh, <laughs> <hot> career.
0: <laughs> right, so, right.
1: Which is odd. Yeah, I did a lot. I actually did a lot. Uh, I started a, like a a, a trip. Three- Whatever I guess you want to call it. Uh, it was like one of those offshoots of fraternities or whatever. What? Um, yeah, so, you know, I don't know if you remember, like, back in the day, they had, like, uh, I was in this group called the the Kappa League. Yeah, I know um, all I about know, the Kappa M- M- League. M- okay. Yeah, so I was in the Kappa League. Uh, I'm totally not cap in the series.
0: Okay, look, all. okay, bougie. Um, okay, bougie.
1: Yeah. I just knew that, that who was of me wouldn't let me be a captain. Like, it just, it wouldn't. Uh, I found out instantly, like, nah, this ain't for me. So, mm-hmm. uh, when I went to Whittell, we started our own little thing. Uh, uh, so, yeah, so we started a little click or whatever.
0: Um. Me by me. Yeah,
1: that's, that was basically. <laughs> basically. <laughs> it was just a little, a little, a little quick or whatever. But, uh, yeah, that's what, that's what I did, uh. Outside of that, you know, just the the regular old speed and stuff.
0: Well you sounded very busy. I heard that um you excelled in track, so what did what what, what, what um events did you participate in in track? Okay, so I ran the one not the
1: one hundred, I ran the two hundred and the four hundred and I did the relays uh, for both of those. And also uh I did a little uh I did the eight hundred one time. Uh, only because I place for shape, mm-hmm. And uh, I only did it because I thought we were warming up one morning, and <laughs> I didn't know we were doing it for a qualifying time. But, you know, I just went out there, and I was trying to beat the long-distance runners. It, I only just to warm-up, and I ended up making the state team because of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because of the time that I ran. So, so I ran the 800 a couple times, uh, but mainly the 200 and the 400 as well.
0: Okay, you got to be really fast to, to participate in those events, so you pretty quick.
1: Yeah, I, I, I used to be. I definitely
0: used to be. <laughs> he said used to be. <laughs> used to be. Uh, do you, uh, you know, to this day, do you uh, work out a jog or, you know, run a little bit? So I still
1: run. I definitely still run. I do distance running. So I try to get in at least five to six miles a week. Uh, right. That's always a goal. Um, so usually every other day, I try to run like a mile and a half or two. But uh, yeah. so I still run. I don't work out. Uh, I've never been a fan of weight or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I have this thing where I say, and I know uh, one of my one of my good buddies, Will. Uh, he works out a lot, and so he's always like, "Yo, Mike." Uh, he always asks me like, "Do you lift, bro?" Mm-hmm. So I always tell him like, <laughs> "Bro, I make enough money to pay people like you to lift and stuff." So
2: right. like,
1: so I don't. I don't miss anything. I've never liked weight. Uh gym smell weird. So none of that. But uh I do I I'm still on sit in and push ups and you know, and I and I run. So that's that's basically what I do now.
0: Yeah, and you know what, uh, those activities, you know, keep you fit for your job, uh, as a photographer and yeah. you know, getting those good shots and getting to where the action is, so you know that's really good that you still you know do a little little bit of something. But a I also bit. yeah a little something some. I also heard that you mentioned <laughs> you were on the yearbook staff. So
1: yeah yeah. Tell I'm me about either, that.
0: Fast. Tell me about that.
1: Okay, so I as a I was a young kid and um, as most young boys do. I saw a cute girl that was on a yearbook set. There you so go. So on a yearbook set. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so, a yearbook set. Uh, but it was really cool. I, I ended up liking it. You know, I didn't get into photography there. Um, uh, I was just, I, I love books. I love reading and I love talking to people. So I used to do like the little interviews with, uh, the students and get their quotes and things like that. So I really liked doing that. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't do anything with camera at that point uh, but I did enjoy your book staff it was really cool I, I
0: really really did wow and I just knew you were going to say that's when I picked that camera up Ina but no nah. it was not no there. the camera is later in life <laughs> way later in life okay no,
1: way way
0: okay so once you graduated from
1: Wooddale
0: what happened for you Mike uh-huh.
1: so I went to the Navy wow uh, went I to didn't the Navy. know that. Well, a lot of people don't know. Yeah, I I am a I'm a whole veteran out here. So I went to the military. Um yeah, I I had a had a little situation in high school, uh, where I lost my scholarship. Uh but uh here not there. But uh, so I went to the military and um yeah, so I I I traveled the world for like four years. Wow. before I came back.
0: Why did you choose the yeah. navy, the navy branch?
1: <laughs> okay, so my dad right? And so I always thought my dad's uniform was so cool because he would bring it out. He could feel fitted and everything. And so me and all my buddies were sitting at the house, and my dad came out, and he was like, what are y'all going to do when you that? Nobody knew what they were going to do. None of us. And so he brought out his uniform, and was like, you know, y'all should go to Milwaukee. So he was like, all right, cool. There so 14 of us just decided that day we are going to all go to milk. Mm-hmm. And... So, all my friends wanted to be Marines because they saw my dad's uniform. So, my dad took a a couple of us down there a couple days later. And so, as we were going into the recruiting office, my dad grabbed me. He's like, nah, you let them go in there, you smart for that. (laughs) So, he's like, you're going to go to the Air Force. So, we went to the Air Force office, but they were closed. And so, the, the guy from the Navy literally stuck his head out the door. he's like, hey, He's like, uh, you want to go around the world? i was like, yeah.
2: He's
0: like, you want a lot of women? I'm like, oh, yeah. And he's like, come <laughs> in the Navy. And that was it. That's how I ended up in the
1: Navy. Like, wow. That's exactly how I ended up in the Navy. Like, they know how to play on your 18-year-old mind. Mm-hmm. And you were in the Navy for four years. Uh, what did you learn yeah, did for, while you were in the Navy? Um, I learned that the world is a lot bigger than Memphis. Wow. Uh, that was the, the one of the main things. Before I left, from, you know, Memphis, I've never really been anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been on some family trips or whatever. I never been anywhere. So uh and I really didn't get a lot of culture per se other than my own. Mm-hmm. So when I first got when I got to boot camp, a guy who who was my, my boss mate, he slept under me, I said the top and it was a white guy. His name is Robert Finney. we're still friends to this day. He sort um, the first time, and the guy who said "make me" was an Asian guy, a Filipino guy. The first time I ever met a Filipino guy was a and and um, that was weird because I I didn't know how to talk to an Asian guy, and I didn't really know how to talk to a white guy because I'd only really been around black people in my whole life. Mm. So, um, but the one thing that I learned from that guy Robert Fenton, um, that's the first time I I realized that white people can be Muslim because he was a Muslim.
0: Oh, a white and Muslim.
1: A white Muslim, uh. and it just when he told me, it, it freaked me out. I was like, nah, because I only thought you know, nation Islam. You mm-hmm. know, that's the only thing I knew really. So um, he's like, no, nah, no, nah, you know, I'm, I'm 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 Muslim. You know, I practice Islam. I'm like, wait, I'm like, you can't be in the nation, you know. But I'm 18, <laughs> you know, young and dumb, and you know, and to to this day, I credit my love for hip hop with this guy mm. because this guy he asked me what I like to listen to music wise. And I was like, man, I like three six I like like five. you know, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, you know, I'm naming like, you know, young know, uh cash money, you know, the really? you know, the traditional service stuff, you know, that we used to A bar, take Um, so he was like, Well, have you ever heard of Pali Polly And hit he me hit on you hip-hop. on that East Coast. Right. He hit me with some real legit hip hop. And I fell in love with Black Star. I fell in love with yeah. uh, Ray Kwan, the chef. I, I just fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Don't say, And all because this white dude would pump me with all this music. Like, mm-hmm. while we're in boot camp, because we got time to listen to music. And, like, he would just hit me like, you got to listen to this city, You got to listen to this season. And he bought me my first. The album, The
2: Blueprint. Mm.
1: He bought it and he gave it to me. And uh yeah, so my wow. love for hip hop is from a white Muslim that I met in Florida.
0: Oh, wow. And you know what? It sounds like you made a friend for life with him.
1: Yeah, that's my guy. My yeah. guy. Shout out to Robert, man. He lives down in Costa Rica with
0: his wife now. Wow. Shout out to Robert. Now,
1: you know, yeah yeah yeah.
0: One thing that I've heard you mention several times since we've been on this mm-hmm. podcast is women. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I used to be I used to be like any other guy, young and dumb and just chasing women. Like mm-hmm. you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we 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 all had our days, you know. When we were young, you yeah, know,
0: yeah. you know how it go. Yeah, so, yeah. So I so I, <laughs> I guess these days you didn't slow down a bit, Mister Butler. You
1: know, yeah, you know your priorities shift. You all know, right. uh, when I was when I was younger, it was all about looks, and that was pretty much it. Mm. You know, um, you know, but when you get a little older, you realize, well, what. She can't even hold no damn, damn Like right? You know, so okay. I need to, you know, I really need, to, need more, uh, you know, assistance. So when I was young, you know, when, you, when you're in your 20s, you know, you know, none of that stuff is real. You know, the things that you like aren't real. So uh, you're looking for the wrong things. So, well, I was. I can not say everybody, but I was looking for the wrong things. It was more about, you know, you know, it's like Pokemon. You got to catch them all. Hey, you know, but when you get older, it's like, it's like, you know, hey, all right, you know, maybe you should slow this down a little bit, you know. Right.
0: <laughs> slow it down. Slow it down. Okay, Mike. Yeah, so, like, you went uh, to the Navy for four years. Yeah. Um, yeah. What happened after that?
1: Okay. So, after that, I um, I, I I got out the Navy, um, and I moved to Nashville. Mm. I moved to Nashville uh, right before I got out of the Navy. I met, um, I met someone, uh, mm. and we had an amazing time. You know, we were great, and so we moved to Nashville together, and we eventually got married. Uh, we moved to Nashville. We were young. We were both like twenty-two at this point. She had just graduated from college, still out the Navy, so we moved to Nashville. Uh, well, I was moving to Nashville, and she. She was coming to Nashville to just hang out, but she never left. So, Mm. whatever. It just just happened. But, um, yeah, so we moved to Nashville. We we stayed there for a couple years. And then we moved to Houston. We moved to Houston, Texas. I got a job in Houston. So, we moved to Houston, and that's where Maddie was born. And uh, uh, so then I had some hurricanes hit, and we moved back to Memphis. We moved back Mm. to Memphis. Okay. So we moved back to Memphis and shortly thereafter we, we divorced, we, you know, and uh but uh we still did the same. Still the same.
2: Uh yeah. we co
1: parent amazingly. But uh and I've been in Memphis since. Since about two thousand and ten. I've been in Memphis. Two
0: thousand and ten and um I heard you mention your daughter Maddie and, you know, mm-hmm. you post so many pictures of Maddie. I feel like I know Maddie and her personality.
1: Everybody. It, it, it,
0: <laughs> it seems like Maddie is your muse. Yes, so
1: Maddie is. Maddie Maddie is Maddie is like one of my best friends. And uh-huh. it's because we're so much alike. Uh-huh. And personality wise. She mm-hmm. is she's just like I was as a kid and I see it. And you know, my my parents my parents worked a lot, uh, especially my dad. My dad worked a couple jobs, and he was an over the road trucker later on when I was about like ten. So uh, and I, was, I had four sisters, so I was the only boy. So mm-hmm. I didn't really have anybody to talk to or play with or whatever. Um, so my dad didn't have a lot of time, and you know, and I always wanted that time when he when he uh, you know slowed down from trekking and I got older. then my dad became the best of friends on earth. Uh, but it was a lot of time in between there that I wish I had somebody to talk to. And I mm. wish it was him. So I try to be that for for her. Yeah. And so, you know, we talk every day. We talk all day.
2: <laughs> and
1: it's always some drama. You know, it's always some drama in her little 12-year-old world. But, uh, but I, I try to make sure I give her a platform to talk and talk freely. And yeah. talk about herself and how she's feeling, and That's she's right. just a cool kid. Like she's just so cool. Yeah, she's um, real she's,
0: cool now. She' cool.
1: She is cool. She is. Uh, she's very, very cool. Uh, but yeah, she is the. She is my world, and everything revolves around her,
0: basically. That is amazing. I can definitely see that in uh, your work, and you know, these kids—they definitely need a sounding board right now. There's so much going on we need to understand yeah. what they're thinking and you know teach them about what is going on right now in our society so I'm glad you're there for Miss Maddie and at this point in the podcast let's transition into you know your artistry how did you get into okay. photography um, cinematography and being this awesome content creator Mike
1: okay um, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause real really quick I'm going to cut my phone but it's hot. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> uh, so, basically. Okay, Okay. So, how I got into photography. Uh, I was probably around, okay, I'm 37 now. So, I bought my first camera when I was 33. About to be 34 four. And it all it all started like when I once I uh, once me and Maggie's mom divorced, uh I started like my dad, you know, I was a little depressed. I was really depressed and so my dad was like, You gotta get out. You gotta start, you know, doing stuff, you know. You got you can't just move around. And so I, I started to I used to like uh, look on the I Love Mental vlogs. And um, choose nine on one wasn't a thing at that point, I don't think. Uh, but in the Memphis spot, and I would look for like events, right? And so I would just go to things, even if I didn't know what it was or, or anything. I would just go. And so when I went, I would just take pictures with my phone. And so someone was like, you know, I started doing all these, going to all these restaurants, and so people were like, you should write a blog. And like, well, I don't even know what that is. And so they were explaining it to me and everything. I was like, yeah, I guess I can do that because I've always been a writer my entire life. So, I'm like, okay, so I started a blog, and then I noticed that the photos just didn't look the same as, like, the people I saw online, and I was like, okay, I got to get a camera. Mm-hmm. So, um, I was going to pay someone to do it, but the price was way too crazy at that point. I was I was a little timer at that point, and uh, so I couldn't afford it. So, my dad was like, well, just get a camera. And, because I'm an engineer, and he's like, you can figure it out. I was like, yeah, I guess I can figure it out. And I bought a camera, and I figured it out. Mm. And that's that's where we are now. Like, I'm self-taught. I, I never went to any classes or any schools or anything like that. Uh, just a lot of YouTube and a lot of trial and error. And um, here we are.
0: And I'm glad you said that, because I believe there's a lot of people out there that want to pick up a camera and don't know where Mm -hmm. to begin and there's so many tools on the internet that can help you you're you know a true definition of that because you do an awesome job
1: thank you i appreciate that i'm I'm really big on that too you know when i got started you know i asked a guy um who was a photographer if i could shadow him and, and things like that and he instantly said no he instantly was like nah and his reason was he he thought that I would try to steal fine. That that was his reason, and which I, I wasn't looking to do that. i just wanted to learn how to use my camera. But you know, I think if you really want to do something, you just do it. You know, you don't really need anybody to show you how to do it. You know, if you really want, because I get people every single day asking me, I show them how to use a camera. You know, what what the best camera to get, or yada yada. And really, I tell people all the time, if you really want to do it, you'll figure out how. to and it's not, I can tell you what I do, but it, you won't get the same result.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: so until and, and so you have an understanding of what you're doing, it, it never will go well. And you got to really put in the palm. And YouTube is a free uh, four-year, uh, six-year, eight-year university
2: mm-hmm. that
1: you have <laughs> all this unlimited knowledge. And that's literally where I learned everything from. And it, it's there if you just really put in the time and the work and the effort to really want to learn it
2: you know because it's
1: not it's not easy it's definitely not easy it's not something that you could just pick up a camera and then just go and a lot of people they they like to run before they crawl and that that's where they kind of mess up and you know I tell people your first 10,000 pictures are going to be your worst pictures. they're going to be horrible yeah, because I look back at my first stuff and I'm like I can't believe I thought this was good <laughs> but you, you just keep plugging away you keep you know you keep practicing on your family because <laughs> you can shoot them for free yeah. and if you really want to do it then you'll do it you know but every, some people want the easy way out you know yes. and that's not the best way of doing things
0: yeah you definitely got to put that work in and you know what it seems like right. you have a feeling that you convey through your work so with that being said what is your vision as a filmmaker can you describe your aesthetic
1: um okay um well, when, I'm, when I'm doing photography um, it, especially if I'm doing you know portrait, I have this thing where if I'm shooting if I'm shooting black people I always tell black people I'm gonna make us look like them, you know. Always, you know, because you know there's a difference in the, in the images you see. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look, if you look at what's in the magazine that a white photographer took, uh, the emotion that comes out of that, the feeling that comes out of that, as opposed to you know a lot of black photographers, they're different. They're very different, and so I want us to look as happy and. And glamorous and, you know, and and beautiful as they say that they, you know, just their images are. I want them to look just like that. And I tell people all the time, I don't do posy things. I don't, I don't do that kind of thing because those aren't real to me. So I try to go at it at a way of telling a story. Like I said, I've always been a writer, so I'm always trying to tell a story. In every photo that I take and every video that I capture, I'm trying to tell a story. And sometimes I have hidden meanings that I want you to try to figure out, and some are, are blatant. But, you know, when when I'm doing people, that's my, 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 my number one objective. When I'm doing other things, like I do a lot of street photography. I do a lot of just walking around exploring neighborhoods and, and things like that. And when I do that, my main focus is Memphis is going to look good. Even in our worst forms. Memphis is going to look good. And that's my number one thing. Memphis is interesting. Um, There's a lot that can be done here. There's a lot of good people here. There's a lot of dope creatives here. People that are way better than me that most people wouldn't even know about. And I'm going to make sure Memphis always looks good, no matter what. And when I film Memphis, I make sure Memphis looks good, Memphis is in a positive light. I do understand, you know, what we have that goes on in Memphis, but in spite of all that, there's a lot of good here, and I'm going to make sure the world sees it.
0: Yes, and I salute you for that, because I see that in your work, and, um, you know, very recently, we've all been seeing the protests uh, across yeah. the, the world. With the uh, injustices that are going on As a result of George Floyd Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor uh, Being killed at the hands of law enforcement And I've been seeing your work That you've been putting out And this is what I want to ask you Mike You know We actually saw at Ferguson uh, Many of the key activists being killed or found dead Under you know mysterious circumstances And we even see that Police are actually You know actually profiling and looking for some of these activists tracking them on their social media right now so oh yeah yeah, yeah, you know as a photographer you know you're you're capturing what's going on now with these protests how do you balance showing what is happening at these protests versus keeping protesters identities you know safe how do you balance that
1: i think um you know, you have to go in Man, with a mindset. mindset. You, you, you got to know, know what side you're on and what story you're trying to tell. And I think uh, a lot of times, you know, you get... You know, when I go to the protests and things like that, there, there are hundreds, maybe not hundreds, there's, there's a lot of photographers. There's a lot, you know, and I think a lot of people do it for clout. I think a lot of people do it uh, for attention. Uh, they want to post the, the, one of the best pictures, you know, some iconic pictures. People like it, and I think if you go in it from that mindset you're already wrong you, you you're not doing it for the right reason, so I go in with a mindset of i want to tell the story of what's happened the emotions of the people also the emotions of the police officers because they're they're human too yeah um so I want to go in and tell the story and the real story you know i you know the news gives you a very vanilla look at what's happening
2: for the mm-hmm. most part
1: they don't really get too emotional too much emotion behind it uh, or a lot of backstory behind it so I go in you know and I just try to look for the stories that are within the crowd you know but I don't like to focus too much on just the crowd I like to focus on the on the totality of it all you know the standoffs the lines uh, between the police and the protesters you know, uh, the the activists that are uh, leading the charge. So I, I try to I try to focus more on that. And as far as the identities of the protest um I try my best. Right now it's, it's been it's been easy because a lot of people wear masks. Mm. So that has really helped out. But if there was a moment where someone didn't have a mask on, I I wouldn't blatantly put their face you know, in a picture, I would try to angle myself where you can't really see their face uh, in those in those moments. But um, yeah, the police do—they do look—they do, look, um, do scour your social media.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I I put out a video. Um, I put I've released three videos about the protest so far. The first one, I, I, the first one was the most successful. I didn't think it would get that many views I thought you know just my Facebook friends or whatever but right now collectively uh, all my platforms it's at 300,000 views Yay. so um, yeah, that was that was great I didn't think that was going to happen mm. but the second one that I released was about a girl that got arrested mm. and uh, she was arrested right beside the uh, Orpheum Theater uh, she wasn't a part of the protest she was actually behind the police in a parking lot uh, across from the Orpheum And, you know, it was just the way that they treated her. She was, she, you know, you know, it was these these cops that were kind of manhandling her a little bit. Um, She was screaming, she was hysterical. I mean, who wouldn't be hysterical getting arrested, you know, especially when you had nothing to do with the protest? So I made a video about that. And all of a sudden, I started getting hundreds, hundreds of new followers. Hundreds.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And a lot of followers without profile pictures, a lot of followers with only one post. You know, so I already know what that is. And you know, I know those are agencies. You know, I know what they are. Uh, so I, I tell people all the time, be mindful of what you put on social media. Uh, because especially on a public profile like, like Instagram or something like that, or if you make it public on Facebook, they do what. They they definitely watch. Um, I fly a drone and the police have their drone out when I, mean, I have my drone out. So they're definitely watching, they're definitely Taking pictures, um, they're trying to identify who activists are, who who's the leaders of things, and um, and if you're posting any picture, you know with the hashtag like "Lost Matter," any of those, they're looking at all this stuff. Um, nice. They're looking at your pictures. Um, you know, you just have to know that's one of those things that happen with it, and you have to know if you're if you're really trying to tell a story, it comes with the territory. Yeah. If you're just there for social media clout, uh, you're probably going to be in for a awakening when you get all these new
0: followers or some random person from the news hit you up. <laughs> right, right, wow. Now you are, you know, really using your platform to tell the story of what is happening right now and, and, and this is definitely a revolution going on right now because, you know, right, it's, it's not certain what is about to happen. What You know, definitely we know that changes have to happen right now now right. you know exactly. you are a black man I know you've seen these men and women killed black men and women killed yeah. at the hands of law enforcement time and time again I mean right. what, what, are, what your are your thoughts on you know the most recent tragedy with George Floyd Mike I I
1: think um, you know well let me let me touch on the first part of that you know i never really thought of myself as an influencer or or someone with a voice you know i just kind of always considered myself a person with a camera you know and that that was my thing and it wasn't until i talked to an activist and i also talked to my cousin my cousin he's a police officer and i also talked to this activist my name is amber sherman shout out amber and um they both were coming at me like, you got to tell this story. You got to tell this story. And I'm like, why do I have to tell the story? And they're, you know, but they're both looking at me as a person with a voice and, and, and with a platform. So I didn't really know what responsibility I had until all of this started to happen. And I didn't take it serious until it started to happen. And I actually, I actually thought, the protests were pointless at first, you know, and it wasn't until Amber reached out to me and she said, why don't you come to a protest and then you tell me how you feel about it. Mm-hmm. And it totally changed my way of thinking, okay. you know, about the protests, about the people that are involved. So I I will always thank Amber Sherman for changing my mind for changing my heart. Mm-hmm. So, um, but uh, aside from that, um, you know, Being a black man in America is... I made a tweet about this other day. It's the most amazing thing in the world and the most terrifying thing in the world at the same time. You know, I love being black. I love all of our black nuances. You know, I like that we talk with a whole lot of rhythm. You know, I I love how we talk and how we interact. And You know, I, I love all of it. You know, when... You know, when, when two black men see each other they don't even know each other, the conversation is so cool. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you know each other. You know, you got to speak. You know, it's like, you have a good day, you have a good day. Yeah, you two brother, all right, bro. You know, but at the same time, having those conversations, when I leave that brother, I'm afraid. Mm. Because that might be the last time I see him. Mm. And it's not because he's a bad guy. It's just because he's a brother.
2: Mm. He's
1: black. And it's it's that... I- it, 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 you're always on a state of alert. You know, you you can't driving down the street as a black person, not even just a black man, as a black person, and a police officer is going the other way. The first thing you do is check your rearview mirror to see if they turn around. Because yeah. <laughs> we live in we, we we live in that. That's 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 what we live in every day. And most people don't understand the paranoia that comes. And it's not, and it's not because black people just hate police or hate law or hate authority. It's not that. It's not that at all. It's you know, it's the fear of what could happen when authority is there. You know, and living in that is is detrimental. You know, it's like it's like post traumatic uh, stress disorder. It's when you're constantly in high alert and 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 you have constant anxiety and you're constantly worried. Well, it, it, it really affects you mentally. And right now, I think, finally, um, a, a huge amount of people in this country are starting to realize, okay, the things that black people have been us for the last 400 years have been right. They have been true. These things, they have been laws put in place. There have been police officers put in place to literally stop them from progressing. And I think now you're you're starting to see a mobilization of a lot of people of different uh cultures of different races you know around the world that yeah. are noticing this stuff, and I think we're at a point now where something is going to happen, uh-huh. something is definitely going to happen, and i hope I hope it's peaceful, but I think we're at a point where people are just tired of what's been going on for so long that there's going to be a change. And the only way that some people can get their voices out or let themselves be heard is through, you know, things that we feel are, we shouldn't be doing, you know, like people condemn the looting. and But you have to, I I tell people all the time, you have to understand these are the voices of people. Yeah. And when they don't have that voice, they have to make a noise. Mm-hmm. And this is their way of making a noise. And I'm not saying it's right and I'm not going to say it's wrong, but I'm going to say this is the only way that they feel that they can get someone's attention.
0: Yeah, and it's definitely so, uh, getting everybody's attention too.
1: Yeah, it's definitely getting the people's attention. And I think it's time for people to wake up. I think it's time for, um, you know, white people to wake up and realize that, hey, you know what? You know, yes, I get, you know, I get their whole mantra of all lives matter. But all lives can't matter until everybody's life matters. And mm-hmm. if there's a group within all lives that, that seems to be disproportionately affected more, then you have to, you have to look into that and make some changes. Yeah. So that all lives can truly matter. Because right now, it doesn't seem like that all of the, all lives do matter
0: right and you know what but, um, i have to definitely agree with you when you're saying um, you know at these protests you see so many so much diversity right and that's something i don't yeah, think we've ever seen before and yeah. people are really starting uh from other cultures to realize what we have been saying for 400 years <laughs> like right. this shit it's is like, real <laughs> <laughs>
1: like, oh i don't know I I I keep been telling the truth all this time, (laughs) like you know. But you know, it it is crazy. But I think I think now it it used to be word of mouth. You know where you know like let's take the case of Emmett Till. It's it's Emmett Till's word against a a angry mob of white guys, Mm -hmm. or or a a white woman who's a damsel in distress. You know, so he he doesn't have any proof. Because it's just his his voice and his voice is ins- insignificant at that time to those people. Whereas now we live in a time where we have free and open knowledge everywhere. We have cell phones, you know, there's cameras all over the place. So we're we're living in a time where everything is under surveillance. Yeah. So people are starting to see it. Like racism never stopped. Right. It just it just started being reporting. And so and, and so now you have these kids, and I think I created hip hop. I, I I so created hip hop because hip hop is bigger than the genre of music. Mm-hmm. It's a culture, and you know, since the beginning of time, well, well since the beginning of hip hop, the biggest, the largest group of consumers of hip hop have been white people. Yeah. So they buy all the albums. You go to a, you go to a rap concert, you know, you go you going to see a majority there that are white. And I think with with that, these kids are ingrained in the hip-hop culture. And their friends are black. And they don't want their friends to be treated the same way. So they're mobilized now because they're seeing it. And they're angry, too. Um, so I've always credited hip-hop with being more than just music. Mm. It, it's a whole idea uh, of of welcoming. I mean, the early days of hip-hop, you got you know, black rappers... You had you know, you had white b boys, you had, you know, Hispanic B boys, you know, so it was it was a culture that embraced all. You know, and I think it's starting to really, really come to a
0: head at this point. Yes, it is, it is. We're we're all watching, we're all looking, and we're all doing what we can with our platforms. Um, you know, you're yeah. you're controlling the narrative through the images that you put out and the work that you put out. So I salute you for that. Um thank you, thank you. you know, everyone protests look looks different you know Every everyone's and they have to figure yeah. out how they want to protest
1: yeah and i think that's another thing like you know i i've seen people on social media you know say well everyone needs to come and everybody needs to do this and everyone needs to protest but you know you have to understand people protest there's a there's a million ways yeah and everybody everyone has to do things that are in order with their life. You know, a, a single mother can't come to a person, you know, she can't march around like that, So you can't condemn them, but she can affect where her dollar goes. So, you know, there are different ways to protest and no one should be condemned on the way that they choose to protest. But we also have a collective on, we want to have a change and we, we really need some clear cut, you know, demands, um, uh, which I think, uh I don't think we really have. I've actually talked to a couple of the, the organizers of the of the protest, and just to help them come up with a clear cut plan. And you know, right now I think they have like sixteen or eighteen points, and I'm like, you know, whittle that down to things that can actively be changed. Um, you know, so um, because if you have a lot of demands, people aren't going to pay attention to all of them. You know, but if you have some concrete ones that we all can agree on, then. That's fine. And um, another thing, uh, this might be totally off subject, but uh, we as black people have to learn to work together. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody, there's no perfect leader. There's not one perfect leader. There's not one person amongst us that hasn't done no wrong or no dirt or no thing. None of us. We can't worry about that at this point. You know, what we have to do is find ways to work together and get beyond whatever issues we have with each other yeah. and worry about that another day. And the main focus should be us as a collective, as a people. And if we keep tearing each other down, because the the, pro, the, the protest leaders, you know, you can't have cliques. You know, everybody's got to be on one of course. Yeah. You don't have to like the person. Everybody didn't like Martin Luther King, and Martin Luther uh-huh. King did some dirt too. Yeah. So, you know, but it's bigger than the man. It's bigger. It's bigger than that. It's about the people, and you have. We have to really stop tearing each other down publicly uh, on, on on social media. We we gotta stop that. We we have to because when we're divided, mm-hmm. that they're winning.
0: Mm-hmm. They they
1: are winning. Yeah. Like, we- every single time.
0: We got to put that ego you know, I, to the side for
2: sure.
1: We do, and we all we got to you know we got to sit down and like I, I've made you know I, I have one thing that I do I know I say a lot I say a lot, like I I just ramble you know and I just say what I'm thinking sometimes. But one thing that I would never do is publicly, you know, destroy another black man and or woman because that that's something I would never do ever because I feel like as a man if I have a friend with another man I, I'm coming to you and I'm going to talk to you and we can we can come up with a way that we can coexist together but I'm never going to publicly destroy another black person ever yeah. and I think we should all adopt that if there's a problem talk to that person find a way to talk to that person because the weaker we are the stronger they are. Yep, and it's
0: been
1: and going we, on we for just so long. Yeah, they use us against each other. Like you got light skins and dark skins. This is the dumbest. <laughs> sh- I, I, I was going to cuss, but I don't want to cuss any your podcast. Um, <laughs> Do you think? But it, it, it's dumb. You know, it's it, 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 it's dumb. It, at this point, it's dumb. It was used as a way to separate us. You know. Right. Um, you know the, the the game is always is the game has never been black first white. You know and I, and I think people got to realize that the game is the have versus the have not, uh-huh. and as long as they keep black people divided and four white and black people because they're basically the same people, if they keep those people fighting each other, they continue to win, and yeah. that's the game, and that's that's all you know most people you know should know that Martin Luther King's next stop before he was assassinated was to a white church. Yeah. To unite full white and white and black. Why? Because if we all unite, we become the majority. We change things, but that ain't what they want. They mm-hmm. want us to always have these little petty little things. Like I don't even understand how poor white people and black people really can be when they live the same damn like that. Exactly that's the same life. <laughs> that's true. That's the same life, you know. That's you know. Life. So yeah. but that's the game. That's the game they want to keep us all. Divided and separated, you know, and that's that's how they do it. it it's not blacks and whites or full whites and, and blacks and Hispanics. It's all light skin and dark skin. And if it ain't light skin and dark skin, it's all black men versus black women. It, it's always these little things yeah. that keep us all divided, you yeah. know. But as soon as, we gotta we gotta realize this is all a game. We're all being played.
0: Yeah, and you know what? One thing I noticed as of this week in Memphis is that they're now having those, you know, meetings. So I guess they've brought maybe some of the leaders from Black Lives Matter or, you know, from the protests, some of the leadership on that side with the leadership in Memphis. So they're behind closed doors now, you know, I guess with their negotiations, like you mentioned, with their list of things that they want. But, you know, a lot of this stuff is systematic. So that's why it's so important. It's so important for people to do their research on who they're voting for. This is an election year. Now, who wants another four years of Trump? But it's a lot of people that do. And, you know, we got to get to the root of these systematic changes that we need. So, you know, we're going to see what happens um, with these protests. You know, I'm doing my part. With my podcast, and um, currently doing a, you're volleyball. doing amazing. You're doing amazing. <laughs> I, I'm trying. I look. I need your video you're too. I need good. a too many video from you. So we'll talk let's about that let's in a minute. <laughs> we'll talk about right, that offline. But I kind of want to transition, <laughs> um, Mike, into COVID nineteen because you actually created a mini series documenting, you know, uh, COVID nineteen in Memphis, yeah. and uh, you even got sports, sports illustrated, illustrated involved. I believe right.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was featured in Sports Illustrated, and on the Sports Illustrated uh, site, it's crazy.
0: Yeah, So, tell me <laughs> well, about your project because it, it was so beautiful. Are you still? Is it over? Uh, it or are you still working on it? Is it still
1: um, in development? This, this whole thing is kind of like oh, put a little on. bit of a dent in it, um, but I, I'm probably going to continue uh, with three episodes in so far, um, and it, it was basically. It was it was meant to be, uh, just a way to look at the individuals that um, and how they're affected by the virus and uh, how our lives have changed. Yeah. So that that's mainly what it's about. And um, you know, like I said, you know, I don't, I've never put out anything for attention or anything for clout or anything to be noticed. So you know, my intentions with it were very pure. Uh, and I got a call from Sports Illustrated, and they were like, "Hey, we love it. Um, we're going to interview you, and we're going to we're going to run it." And I was like, <laughs> "Oh wow, <laughs> I, I I didn't know it was actually Sports Illustrated." And, You know, they were you know because sports are kind of down, you know. So um, yeah, they but were yeah, for so they the ran angles. it. Um, yeah, I and mean, it had you know I had a skater in it, so it had a little bit of a sports angle in it. So uh, that that video was amazing. That was a, a good reception on that, and it's it basically just to bring the awareness um, to the virus and how it's affected our lives and how it affects the lives of others. So uh, that's that, that's what that, that's about.
0: Yeah, and and you've you know really documenting Memphis and and some of the you know beautiful parts of Memphis. The way you captured it is this, is is just so lovely mike <laughs> the way Thank everything
1: you. i appreciate <laughs> it i really try to look at things from uh i really try to look at things objectively but at the same time you know like i said i always want to make memphis look great and you know um, there's always the focus is, is to if i'm going to do something i want to highlight where i'm from because you know there are a lot of people you know that are great you know great videographers. Great directors and photographers that are from Memphis that have left Memphis, and, you know, and I don't knock them for their choices. And a lot of people feel that they can make a bigger mark elsewhere, but I just feel like I my place is here, and my place is to make it better here from within, and that's that's my that's my goal.
0: Yes, and you do it very well, Mike Butler. I'm glad that you know you're able to control the narrative by telling your stories through your work. You're amazing. Um I just want to thank you for joining me today. I really wanted everyone to hear your story, Mike, and you're very verbally effective. So, you know, hey. when you get them calls for them interviews, you got this, Mike. You got it.
1: <laughs> yes. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So, uh
0: let everybody know how they can see your work and keep in touch with Michael Butler Jr. Papa Bear Productions.
1: Yeah, okay. Uh, so, um, uh, my photography page, um, is, uh, you can, it's on Instagram. I'm working on my website for so that. Uh, just haven't got it up yet. But my Instagram is underscore, I don't like the underscore, but it's underscore, underscore O N E 901, like 1901, but spelled out. Um, so that's my Instagram, um, where you can, um, all my photos are there, and I do post some videos there. Um, also my production company, Papa Bear Productions, is to say, oh uh a straight shout out to my father who's deceased. Uh we call him Papa Bear. And uh so Papa Bear Productions is my uh production company and we have an Instagram page and uh also a website is www. dot poppa bear production and that's Papa P O P P A. So um that's where you can find some of my recent work, the covid nineteen work is there. Um uh, uh my short films are there. Um, um all that. All my contact info is there as well. So um also Facebook, uh Michael Butler Junior. Um I am on Twitter, uh O N E nine oh one.
0: Yes. That's it. i I was about to say and let these folks know that you ain't cheap either. Y'all gotta pay Mike Butler for his price, guy Lee.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, you know, you know. I do you know, it's crazy, I just bought a camera yesterday. I bought another camera yesterday. And so right.
2: um
1: Maddie got in the Maddie got in the car, she's like, Hey, she saw the box, she's like, How much of that camera cost? I'm like, You really don't wanna know
2: right and she's
1: like so yeah, so yeah, that one uh yeah. That one was very expensive. But yeah, it's uh I do want people to understand like I do, you know, I, I really don't like when people go ahead and price me. Right. are asking me because I do a lot of work for people that are doing something positive. Um, I got a buddy. I shoot his music videos, and I charge I him, like, 250 bucks or 500 bucks to do this. You know, there's a lot of things that, you know, I'll, I'll do for first. And if I like their message and I like what they're doing, I will work with anybody. And people from Memphis always are going to get a Memphis discount with me no matter what because hmm. I believe in promoting Memphis. And uh that's always been my thing. If anybody comes to me about, you know, their project and they need some help on it and they're from Memphis, holler at me. I will work with you. Uh, and because I, I want everybody's voice to be heard and I want everybody to feel like they have a voice. Yes, so,
0: yeah. sir. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Michael Butler Junior with Papa Bear Productions for joining me today on the Verbally Effective Podcast. You keep up the great work, Mike, okay?
1: I'm going to try, and you keep up the great work.
0: I will. I will. We got to do it.
1: All right.